know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's useless to start now. No, it's not. And if it brings something for you other than making money, then definitely do it. Because for me, that brings, photography in the night sky brings joy for me. Being alone with the elements when there's no sound outside, no winds, you know, you have the perfect pristine sky with, I don't know, I, I would imagine uh, a nice lake or a nice, you know, still sea where you get the reflection of the moon or the reflection of stars. Oh my goodness, there's no feeling beating that, I think. Hey, Wiki Hunters, welcome back to the Art of Photography podcast, where we share artists' journey and how they find hope, purpose, and happiness through their passion in photography. And today, I have a very special guest. Um, I came across his work back in Clubhouse, I think, and he is a legend when it comes to capturing the night sky, um, you know, the auroras and the Milky Ways. In fact, um, I think he was the very, his work was the very first photo that I saw, the two in one frame. I was just, that just blew me away. So, um, Adrian, how's it going? Um, I think you're tuning in from Norway, right? Are you still in, um, in Lofoten? Hey, good morning for me. Um, uh, yeah, so I am talking to you from Arctic Norway, and right now is 9 a.m. So just waking up from a, from a short night after a chase of, uh, of Aurora, and, uh, but I'm so delighted you know, to, uh, to wake up early and, and to be talking to you and connecting with you here. Um, I, we, yeah, we, we met through, um, through clubhouse during the pandemic. And I think that was, you know, a great way to really connect with people that, um, maybe you might've missed out on other platforms and, you know, who, whose work are just, oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, your work as well is just so tremendous and I'm so happy I found you, uh, and so that we connect, but, um, um, yeah, so you, you talked about Milky Way and Aurora, and actually now is the uh, good time to to see those two phenomena together. It's usually the the only time of year where you can get the two lined up like this. Um, we can expand a bit more on that afterwards if you want. But, um, but yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. That's that's awesome. Yeah, we'll just right right away, straight off the bat, giving a cliffhanger. So if you stay till the end, you will learn how to <laughs> capture the Milky Way and the Aurora. That's I love it. Um, but yeah, man, like I, I come across your photo. Um, I I come across you first, of course, because you came to the clubhouse, go through your photos, and it's just insane. You know, um, I don't I don't think I've ever seen anyone dedicated to shoot, um, you know, Aurora. Um, as much as you do and it's just absolutely incredible and one of the my favorite photos was when there's the the reindeer and the aurora on the background but we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later um before we get uh you know we get to the nice and interesting part um i'd like you to introduce yourself and you know share um share to the audience who you are and uh for those who haven't come across uh you yet where is the passion of chasing this, you know, auroras and the night sky came from? Because we all know people like their sleeps and their rest, right? <laughs> and you just say, you know, you, you had a, a short night to be here, but you don't look tired at all. So, so yeah, let us know who oh, you, you need, are. You need to and... 
sorry, you need to zoom in and, and look at my eyes if you could see right now they're red. <laughs> they're red, but um, yeah, so who am I? So I am a 33-year-old photographer from France. So originally I'm French, but um, I actually haven't lived in France in, wow, between, I would say, 10 and 15 years. So it's been quite a long time. You know, my family is back in France, but um, I've been traveling and, and I actually lived in several other countries. Um, I've lived in, uh, in, in Canada, Denmark, um, and now living in Norway. So, you know, I've done a lot of, um, a lot of traveling in different, different countries. Um, and so I live off of my photography. I've been living off of my photography for about, hmm, I, I would, I would say since 2017. So it's, still quite recent uh if you if you say so before that time it was more of a hobby that i picked up when i was living in denmark um, i was working as a teacher because uh, um, originally I, i'm not a photographer um lear- like I, I haven't really you know been educated as a photographer uh, at university i was originally in the science um, department. <laughs> and uh, so I, I earned a master's degree in environmental sciences, um, uh, which master degree thesis I finished in Canada, in Alberta, actually, where funny enough, you could see Aurora, but back then I was just, you know, not educated enough. I mean, I, I knew about Aurora and then, you know, that was kind of like this dream to see Aurora, but I never really got to realize this dream. And you know, so I I really got the first connection with Aurora and astrophotography um, when I was in Denmark. Um, believe it or not, this is what started my photography journey, actually. So I changed career because of this one experience that I had in, in, in Denmark. Um, so let me go back to it just uh, just very briefly. So... I was working at a school in Denmark in, in, in like a boarding school and one of the one of the teachers around the the teachers uh, lounge table uh, we were talking about you know our biggest dreams and and you know our bucket list items and I mentioned that I wanted to see the aurora you know so bad and you know in my head I thought about you know going to Iceland going to Canada um, Alaska you know those very far away uh, polar locations, not really like, you know, I wouldn't even, even imagine you could even see the Aurora from so far South. And yet that teacher, uh, that colleague told me, oh yeah, you know, I, I spent my nights cause he was the cadet teacher. So he's used to spend his nights on the Hills and he told me, yeah, every once in a while we get a display of auroras, you know, uh, dipping down to the, the lower latitudes. And I was like, no way, you must be, you must be kidding me right now. No, no, no. So, so after watching, you know, several alert websites and everything, there was one night where there was a possibility. So I went to the beach, waited maybe for like five hours. Um, He had, you know, um, he had said, you know, keep a, a nice clear view towards the north, have clear skies, no moon if possible. And then wait, so I did, and um, you know, I waited for six hours in the cold, <laughs> didn't see anything, and I was like, no, <laughs> you know, it must have been kidding me, you know, it must have been a joke. And on my way back to the car, I was, I still had the clear view towards the north, but I was just facing away from the beach, um, and the tree line in front of me, you know, I was just 
getting to the, the car park, um, the tree line in front of me just lit up. And, you know, in my head, I was like, well, there could be several things here at play. Uh, I don't know, that could be, you know, a boat from, you know, there, were, there weren't any cars or any roads. So I was like, hmm, couldn't be a car. Could be like a big boat. Could be the moon. Could be, I don't know. Um, but sure enough, you know, I turned back to to check what it was, and it, and oh my goodness, this was, this was the very first peak at the aurora. And even though it's not as bright and as colorful as what I get now in northern Norway above head, oh my goodness, that was so out of this world, like something you had never seen. And when you know. Uh, I mean, I've been brought up in a city, but I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have a summer house in the countryside. So I know what a, a, a normal, unpolluted, or at least not that much light polluted night sky looks like. Um, you know, the amount of light coming from this phenomenon is something that is completely um, uh, stranger to, to like anything else. You know, it's just so... Um, so powerful i mean it's just like these pillars dancing on the northern horizon and lighting up the whole landscape um almost casting a shadow on the ground um is something otherworldly and that it's indescribable if you've never seen it and so ever since you know ever since that experience that adrenaline kick that comes when the aurora explodes and i'm sure you can relate um it's just yeah it's just what what uh you know, starting the passion, start what started the passion about the Aurora. And ever since, I actually uh, picked up my first camera the next day because I just wanted to capture it. You know, I wanted to capture it so bad, but I was, you know, didn't know anything about photography. So I learned myself through uh, YouTube tutorials, you know, being in the fields, trials and errors. Um, and I actually switched job because this, this was just, you know, chasing the Aurora, chasing the night sky. Uh, become became a pa passion basically. Th that is so incredible. Yeah, I, yeah. I, so like it, it, it's it's really hard to to explain that feeling, right? When you when you see the aurora, whether it's the first time or you know no, however many times. Um, but I'd like you to try. <laughs> how how does that feeling, you know, for the audience who never feel who never seen it um, before? How does it feel? to be able to be in this pristine dark sky, seeing the sky dancing? So first for the audience, I think, you know, it's good to have, that's why I mentioned the, the dark sky reference, you know, knowing what uh, sort of like a typical dark sky looks like, you know, not the sky of a, you know, of a city but being just maybe just outside of a city already, you know, it's, I know it's probably a bit light polluted, but it, it just gives you an idea of the amount of light of natural light. I would say that's coming from the night sky. You know, it's, it's not a lot, but it's still a little bit. So you can sort of make out a few things in the landscape, you know, at least in black and white. So it's good to have a reference. And once you do, you, I think you can appreciate even more how much, how much brightness and how much light comes from this phenomenon. I mean, it's just particles bombarding the atmosphere, causing it to, um, to light up basically to, to really produce light, dancing light. 
uh, just like a just like a neon light. Now, about the experience, I think it's just life changing. It just it's groundbreaking. Like it's something that unravels or or that just um, how to describe it. It changes your view, I think, on a lot of things because, um, again, that's that's unlike anything you've ever seen. And when when you have this connection to the dark sky, when you know what a dark normal dark sky looks like, you know it's not usual. You know it's something that is almost alien. You know, um, so it's just um, personally, I didn't. I didn't cry. I could maybe I shed a little tear uh, at the beginning. I, I just can't remember. But I know, you know, um, now that I've seen so many people react on the aurora, um, we all have a different, a different uh, reaction to the aurora. Some people cry. Some people just, you know, lie down. You know, they feel the need to lie down because not necessarily because it's overhead, but more because they. It's almost it like they feel the weight of this natural phenomenon and, and they, you know, they, they have no choice but to sit down or lie down and just appreciate almost, almost like a, a, a I wouldn't say fear reaction, but you know, like almost like, like a child when it's being grounded and it like sits down and, <laughs> and just does nothing. That's the sort of like, um, yeah, you just, you're at a loss for words. And some other people, just dance around shoutings, you know, we, we all have, uh, I tend to be like this or I, I used to be like this actually more often, but now that I'm taking photography and then I'm alone, I just try to enjoy the show. Um, and just, I think I just, um, let my cameras run the time lapses. I do a bit of real time filming, but I just watch all the time. It's very important to also enjoy the show for yourself. I think. Hundred percent, and um, you know, it's it's uh, one of the reason why I got into time lapses because then you know I could take photo at the same time I could enjoy the scenery. It's it's really nice that way. But um, yeah, like so you know, looking at your Instagram, which is nights um night night lights films um, you know, it's it's just filled with this night shot, right? Uh, whether it's um aurora whether it's a milky way or meteor shower so how often do you go out there and you know chase this the night skies okay so every time that i that is that we have clear skies because i should mention we're i'm in a part of the world so i live full-time in arctic norway and who says cold says you know clouds and condensation and precipitation obviously and so the the window the windows of opportunity i think are quite short and small in norway because we're also close to the sea and we, we you know we get the influence from the gulf stream and from the sea and we have a lot of cloud entry and and stuff like that so whenever the sky is clear i just go out even if the uh the the aurora activity is is quite low because then i can do uh, milky way believe it or not Aurora is a form of is a good form of light pollution, but it's still light pollution. So whenever you know you would have um, you would have to do anything deep sky or you know just Milky Way, you need to make sure the aurora is at the lowest because otherwise it outshines everything. That just how much light you know uh, comes out of the aurora. Uh, and funny enough, last night I was 
you know, I started the evening shooting the Milky Way, but I needed to to stop the time lapse almost halfway through because the aurora just suddenly got a bit brighter, and that's enough to burn the whole the whole sky. It's just you know the highlights were just burnt in the aurora um, to expose nicely for the Milky Way. Uh, so I need to reduce the shutter speed and uh, start anew. <laughs> so that's just the way it is. You need to, you, you can never know what the Aurora does. And, uh, and so, yeah, uh, but to come back to your question, basically, so I chase the Aurora, most likely the Aurora. I do a bit of Milky Way here in Norway, but mostly Aurora throughout the Aurora season, which here spans from uh, anywhere from, I think, late August to the start of April. And then the rest of the year, I do some other types of work. Um, I usually travel the world to take some time lapses and, and real-time sequences that I license to um, production companies. So I do different type of work during the winter and during the summer, which I like as well because it varies a lot as opposed to, you know, being sitting in an office and and doing the same type of, like repetitive work uh, over and over again. Sounds like so, a yeah. horrible job there, man. I don't know. It's it's I horrible. Know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully, um, you know, the listeners can um, hear the sarcasm in that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, damn, man, that's awesome, right? Uh, it's just like, um, I think it's really good. Uh, one of the things that I love about traveling is that change. So I know exactly how, you know, giving that change um, can help your creativity and how much you you how to stay in love with what you do, right? Because I, th I think it's important. Otherwise, things just get stagnant. And um, yeah, so all of this Aurora, do you mostly shoot them in Norway or do you go to other parts of the world to chase um, these Auroras as well? So, yeah, so, so I, I'm, you know, I decided to, to come to Norway and to immigrate in Norway because, uh, or I should say Northern Norway, because Norway is quite a, uh, a long country from, from South to North. So, um, you know, it almost, I always like the name Norway because in my head, it's like the way to the North in a way, you know, it's like, it, it begins in the South, uh, away from most of the Aurora. And then you just make your way up North, you know, more than a thousand kilometers. And then you're there, you're at the, the, the polar circle, the Arctic circle. And uh, that's where you see most of the Aurora in this zone of the world. So I decided to immigrate there because obviously, you know, this is the home of the Aurora. And uh, we get a show, if it's clear, we get a show every night. We get to see the Aurora every single night. Uh, of course, in varying intensity and varying activity, but we still see the Aurora every night if it's clear. Um, but that being said, sometimes the Aurora, um, dips way further south. So when we have periods of increased, uh, what we call increased geomagnetic activity. So that's the, the activity that's being created by the disturbances, uh, of the solar wind and how the, the planet reacts to those disturbances. Um, so that the consequences. One of the consequences, the creation of the aurora, obviously, but there are other consequences. But anyways, when this activity is higher, um, the best of the auroral activity actually migrates towards the, the equator. Um, and how far, how far towards the equator is dictated by many factors. So you can never really predict 
per se when that the best activity will end up in terms of location. But um, sometimes, you know, in the span of an hour, it can literally, it can literally travel, I would say, you know, five, between 500 and a thousand kilometers south. Um, so obviously you can, it's not like you can take a, 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 a or buy a, a plane ticket and just, and just, you know, uh, last minute, just, uh, fly to wherever you want. But I also travel to other locations and other countries, for example, very often now as we're getting into more rural activity during the solar cycle, cause we're arriving at, uh, a very interesting part of the solar cycle now, which is called the solar maximum, um, where the, the, the aurora activity is supposed to be more frequent and um, more towards the equator as well. I tend to travel, last year I traveled several times to Finland and Sweden, for example, but I've chased the aurora uh, in Iceland, I've chased it in Canada uh, afterwards, <laughs> when I, you know, I wanted to go back and, and, and see that for myself as well in Canada. Um, and yeah, Sweden, Norway, uh, Finland, and that's about it. I think, uh, oh, you know, never mind. I chased a bit in the U S as well. Uh, so several locations, I still have a few locations that I'd like to, to see. And especially that includes the, the Southern lights. I've never seen the Southern lights. So being able to see the, uh, uh, what we call the conjugate Aurora, cause it's basically almost the same Aurora that's happening at the same time in the North and in the South. I want to see it in the south as well, so southern hemisphere, obviously. Yeah, I mean, like those, um, this the south, the the southern light is actually quite interesting, and um, I, I'm 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 wondering what makes you want to see the southern lights because they're they almost look about the same compared to the northern light in in most cases. So there there are several things. Uh, it's actually a very interesting question and. I think we're getting a bit more into details here with the aurora. So, uh, like I said, the, the, you know, when we get those bursts of auroras or the, these bursts of activity, um, they're generally speaking, the aurora will look almost exactly the same in the south and in the north because it's just the way the aurora is created. Um, the particles, you know, they just they're just channeled towards channeled towards the poles. Um, almost, you know, at the same uh, time, or actually at the same time, and with the same sort of properties. But there are still a few differences. Uh, it's not like a mirror, a perfect mirror. There are some differences. And actually, the what we call the 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 oral oval, which is it, it, at any time, it's just all the aurora happening at one pole. It looks like a donut shape, um, and that is actually a bit more active in the South for some reason. Uh, it has to do with the way the, um, the, the magnetic field of the earth is, is made. And so, um, it's a bit stronger at the South. And so, um, the, the, the Southern oval is usually slightly more active and, and you will see it slightly, maybe more colorful or brighter auroras for the same, you know, same global show. Um, so that's one of the reasons. And the second reason is, you know, you can see the aurora, the Southern, uh, lights, you can see them in countries where, you know, have always been on my bucket list, like Tasmania, New Zealand, Australia, and maybe perhaps Antarctica as well. I know, you know, you have to travel quite far inland to, 
to see the southern lights in Antarctica, but still it's just, oh, I just want to see it for myself, you know, even if it's the same. That's the cool thing with the Aurora, you know, you, you asked me, I think at the beginning, uh, we talked about change in our, our job and the Aurora is the definition of change because it's never the same. It just, from one night to another, you know, it changes from one, even from one minute to another, it changes shape, colors and, and stuff like that in the sky. So that's what makes it so interesting. Uh, it's, you know, not two times is, is, is going to be the same and you never know what you're going to get. So that's what's so exciting about the Aurora. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, um, you know, like when you shoot Aurora, even with the same exact composition, there's always, it always different, right? Well, as uh, for example, if you shoot the Milky Way, like you are chasing the composition because, you know, if you shoot at the same time, you know, or roughly about the same time at the same location, it looks exactly the same. So, yeah, that's, that's, yes. that's, it's really cool about the Aurora that way. But, um, Australia, I didn't think, um, I mean, I know when there is the storm is really high, you can kind of see it in Australia, but it's really, really hard to see in Australia. Am I right? Like, I think Tasmania would be the best chance, right? But in the mainland Australia, it's a little bit too far north to be able mm. to see like pillars and stuff. You'd be surprised, actually, I think, to, uh, I think it's uh, Victoria in, in uh, Australia. Um, they see Aurora much more often than, than one would think. Um, because even when it's, you know, Tasmania and the, 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 the South of New Zealand, um, it's actually not that far. It, it, um, it's quite towards the pole. It's, it, um, it would be the equivalent of, uh, of like the, well, it depends across the States, obviously, but, um, yeah, and I, I couldn't give you an equivalent because the the aurora is crook the, the the oval is crooked, so it it doesn't correspond to geographic latitude, unfortunately. So I couldn't you know give you a reference. Uh, but Tasmania and New Zealand are actually quite far towards the aurora, and mm. on very good shows, you know, they could see the aurora above head in, so, in uh, Tasmania. And so you're saying, um, so by, by the way, what Adrian was saying is like the oval where the aurora is happening is not, uh, it's not exactly circular to the north or the south pole. So there is like a little bit oval. That's why they call it oval, I suppose. <laughs> Makes sense now. It's not a circle. Correct. Um, so, so what you're saying is that Tasmania and New Zealand is closer to the active part of the oval. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Ah, interesting. And, um, while you know traveling to Australia does make a difference, you know, I mean, it, it, you're getting further away from the oval. Um, there, it, there, there is still like a uh, quite a large part in the southern, I think, uh, eastern part, so southeast part of Australia, where uh, it's it's quite possible to see the aurora, you know, albeit on the horizon. But still, you know, uh, you know, quite quite often, actually, they see the aurora, and they don't need like a big big storm to actually start seeing pillars on the horizon. Believe it or not, so it's. Oh, I wow. think it's a. a um, it's been a misconception, um, it, you know, not being able to see the aurora or thinking the aurora could never happen at your latitude. But if you're, you know, um, if if you get into 
liking the aurora and and trying to chase it and really trying to understand when it happens and why it happens i think you'll understand why the aurora happens way more often than you think and way closer to you than you think uh, so you know obviously the best shows are where you are under the aurora but if you're not under the aurora you might be surprised to know the aurora is not that far away from you as you think well in, in bali unfortunately you know you 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 need you need such a powerful storm, but um, uh, you know, so, you know, talking to some people in the world, uh, they might not even know they could see the aurora at their place without having the need to to travel. So I think it's nice for them to know. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think most people the biggest the biggest problem or challenges that most people have is that the city lights, right? Uh, you live in the city, you can hardly see the stars to start with, let alone auroras. You know when it's and it's too far away from the um, from the source itself, but like uh, you know, like I mean, I've seen some of your shots where it was full moon and you could see the aurora, and you know, um, some of them are um, accompanied by a, a bright city lights and all that stuff. So yeah, like if you really go far north, you could really see it even with you know a, a, a light uh, around your horizon, and. Um, so like man like you take so many aurora shots right and it's it's been just like crazy um you know when i first met you and just like i do not know anyone who take more aurora photos than you do <laughs> it's just incredible so out of those um what is your let's say most memorable moment that you've captured with the aurora oh <sighs> Um, I think, you know, when you, when you take Aurora photos, uh, when you take so much Aurora photos and not, I'm not saying that for, uh, you know, I, I, I do time-lapse, so, um, I don't know how, just how many shots I've taken over my career so far, but, um, I can tell you that's a lot of shots and that's a lot of different sequences with a lot of different compositions and stuff like that. So I have a lot of, of, um. Uh, favorite shots uh, per se, but I think the um, I think I'm hesitating right here because um, you, you told me what what's you asked me the the most memorable shot, correct? Yeah. So um, I think my most accomplished accomplished shot was the the reindeer that you um, you mentioned. But to me, I mean, that's that's a, a real accomplishment because it's quite hard to take wildlife, it, you know, sharp wildlife, on, you know, in a night night photography altogether, uh, regardless of whether there's a war or not. But it's it's like it's very hard to take wildlife at night. Um, but to me, I think the most memorable um, shot today should be um i'm hesitating between two actually i think one is the the phoenix um it, it's it's a picture that looks like a where the aurora looks like a phoenix rising from the mountains and that one was quite memorable because that was one of those nights during the dead of what we call solar minimum which is the lowest of solar activity and for the audience i remind the 
I, I remind the audience that the, the sun is the source of the aurora. So if you have low solar activity, you don't get a lot of auroras. But at high latitudes, you still get, you know, the shows, even if the solar activity is is low. And so um, that night, I remember that was a, 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 a quite a warm night in November. Uh, warm for me is, is about zero to five degrees Celsius uh, for the season, of course. But I, I think for, for a lot of people, it's, still, it's quite cold. Um, and, you know, it was supposed to be cloudy. It was supposed to be... Uh, uh, it was supposed to be very low activity. And so I took my chances anyway. And I think it, it it's memorable for me because, um, you know, it's like all the elements are against you. You know, you go all against the odds and you, you beat the odds um, going out in the field, you know, showing your persistence um, going anyways. You know, you know, you might not get anything. You might waste money you might waste resources time you could have done something else you could have i could have been more comfortable at home you know enjoying a meal and yet i said nope i i want to take my chances and so i did and i so i drove one hour uh to the fjords and i hiked for about 30 minutes uh the 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 it was still cloudy and there was still the aura was still super low in terms of activity and then all of a sudden Everything cleared up magically um, for some reason that I would I could never uh, you know I could never know it everything just lined up perfectly and that's when you know the motto of photographers you know if you're not outside you're not gonna get anything right you need to be outside you need to be in the field uh, to 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 get the the shots otherwise you know. Uh, you would never have known, and that 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 shot I think was uh, represented that very very well, and so everything cleared up. I set up my cameras and my uh, my time lapses, and actually that's that was one of those times where I actually set up the activity was so low that I shot at twenty second exposure, which if you know a bit about photography uh, or night photography is the settings for you know nice nice settings for Milky Way uh, Milky Way shots. And yeah, that was one of those nights where, you know, I, we weren't supposed to be to get a lot of Aurora. So I set up the milk for the Milky Way. And again, one all of a sudden the Aurora just came out, out of nowhere and very rapidly just brightened the whole the whole landscape. And I had to reduce from 20 seconds to one second exposure to give you an idea of how bright that aurora that aurora was. And so I pointed the camera towards where the aurora was getting super bright and was expanding over the sky. And for a split second, this, uh, this, the aurora took the shape of a, a giant bird, or uh, I called it the phoenix afterwards because it just reminded me of, you know, the the rise of the phoenix. And um, that I think that was the most unique shape that i've ever gotten in terms of aurora um and the whole story behind the shot i think is what makes it so memorable um of course i've i've got so many stories uh throughout you know my career that that shot was in 2018 so since then you know there are a lot of shots and a lot of stories but um um i, I was at the very 
start of my Aurora chasing career. Well, not the start, but I think it, it uh, I guess in Norway. And so to me, that's something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always talking about is, is this story because it just represents so well, you know, the hardship that you have to go through the, uh, also against yourself because you know you want to stay out inside you're you're nice and comfy and uh there is this this passion inside still that tells you no i'm going out anyways i i want to see if i get something and that's you know when when you know that i think you truly like something is that you don't um it doesn't matter what what is what is outside of this passion um you just go for it you know so yeah, that's uh, that's. I think that's my most memorable shot today. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Um. I mean, that story is just so inspiring. You know. Um. I think too many of us rely so much on the weather forecast, and I feel like I don't know if you agree. And I, I, you know, like um, for the audience who listen as well, I don't know if you guys agree. And I'd like to actually, you know, get your take on this. But I feel like the Instagram, um, culture or the social media culture change that mindset you know we started photography because we enjoy the journey going out there capturing you know a, a moment that we may or may not uh, ha- uh we may or may not um going to experience right but along the way this this instant gratification changed that whole mindset and it's you know no longer about the journey about the adventure it's about the photo right ah I, I need to make sure that the cloud is, you know, burning or I need to make sure that the sky is clear, that the, the aurora is blowing up and, you know, all this stuff just to get more likes. And I, I love hearing that story, right? Because that's what photography is all about. Like, I, I don't know anyone who started photography because they want more likes on Instagram. Like, you know, most people start <laughs> photography because they just want to capture and enjoy the moment. But along the way, we kind of forget that. And um, so, yeah, like, thanks for sharing that, man. Like, um, I, I I know that feeling when you go against all the odds and the odds just like, you know, um, beat itself and give you such an incredible, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, like reward right to remember mm-hmm. by and it's not only it's not even about the photo like you say it's about that feeling about <laughs> so that's cool yeah, i think it's it's the whole package really that comes with the photo and funny enough i think you mentioned you just mentioned you know some people might you know start photography for because of instagram and to get more likes but i think they burn out quite easily and they, they get out of the this interest because uh they they the purpose is quite shallow you know they, they do it as repetitive work or you know as as a job and you know the minute it it starts feeling like a job like you have to go out to get content and and to shoot for someone else you don't shoot for yourself anymore and i think that's where the passion disappears and so i think you know you mentioned it, it and that's probably one of the uh the other pieces of advice i could give the audience is that um, try to avoid feeling that like you have to post this photo. You have to take this photo to post on social media. Take it for yourself first and keep it this way. Otherwise, yeah, the passion disappears and you don't you don't want to you know you don't feel like you 
you really want it comes from you you know you, you there's this external desire to go outside and it's just not you uh, so keep that for yourself first and then that's actually where the the inspiration you know uh should come from because obviously we as photographers we um we compare all the, uh, you know each other um sorry we compare ourselves to to other photographers all the time but the less you do that the more it the more self-oriented your photography journey is i think the more self-inspired it becomes and i think that's where you start focusing on yourself first and uh, uh you start getting outside of the your comfort zone first and then you start experimenting on new stuff that you know you haven't seen before or uh uh, uh, stuff that would seem completely ridiculous to others, but then you try and then you you post it. And I think uh, a lot of people recognize that in my work is that uh, I yes I I I I have taken a few shots, you know, of of uh, uh, famous places and, and monuments and stuff like that, even at night. But I'm more interested in, interested in um, taking things that have never been done before in in all the like whether it is in time lapse or in single shot photography i like to experiment a lot taking you know out of focus uh uh bouquet time lapse which is very rare, rarely done and funny enough you know a lot of the production companies love this kind of time lapses and i think you know they they saw the work first and they contacted me to work with them because of this so uh, and I think that, uh, but I, I want to expand to take a time to expand a bit more on that afterwards because that was I'm, now I'm going towards the piece of advice I wanted to give at the end. So let's not get into that just yet. <laughs> That's awesome, and uh, thanks for um, you know mentioning that because um, I know exactly that feeling when you feel like you have to go out and shoot. And um, I actually had a burnout because of that, and that is also the reason where this podcast came from. Um, you know, because. I was like burning out and I want to hear what other people are going through. And most of the time, you know, it's not one year, it's not two years. It's usually more than that. Um, plus more <laughs> of, you know, get to where they are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the overnight success that people see in the Instagram is never overnight. You know, they put all their heart and work behind it. <laughs> so, yeah, like yeah. that. that is an awesome, awesome advice. And I love that, you you know, you kind of dive into that even deeper. <clears throat> To, to just share that insight. And I think that is really important. So I guess one of the things that I'm interested in, and I'm sure that the audience would, be, would love to know as well, is um, so you used to be you know, in a science kind of um, niche, and then you, you had your master's degree and all that stuff. You're a teacher, and suddenly, poof, you're a photographer, right? <laughs> How does that... How, how does that um, thinking process as well as journey to transition over? Because, um, you know, the, one of the biggest preconceptions that most people say is that artists, you know, a starving artist um, mindset, <laughs> right? So, so when you jump into the profession, people are going to think you're crazy. You're an absolutely, you know, crazy to to let go of your master degree and all that stuff and jump into this starving industry. Uh, but how does that process go? And what makes, um, if there is there anything that makes all the difference 
uh, that help you to transition over? <laughs> it's funny you you mentioned uh, starving artists because this is exactly where I was going. I think you you need to, uh, or at least that was the case for me. I, I I'm not sure if you need to, so it's not it's no you know no no uh, advice, but um, you need to make sacrifices. I think you need to 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 be willing to be a starving artist for a while um, to start. A journey, especially if you come from a, a, a background that, you know, I was a teacher, but I was at the beginning of my career and I, I wanted to get into a, a PhD. So I wanted to go further in my studies as well. Uh, so, you know, I, it's, it's like, you know, from one day to the other, you stop everything and you start something anew. And that's something that is, that is quite scary. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, you know, starting a new journey um, without having any mentor or any kind of, of support from anyone. Um, although some people did believe, you know, and so, some people, some, some of members of my family pushed me and, and said, yeah, you're quite talented. So you should probably, you should probably pursue it. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of support from anything else, to be honest. Uh, it's just maybe, you know, well, you're lucky enough to have a grant to search for grants, but basically, um, for me, I already own some cameras, which I was able to acquire during, I don't know, thanks to to the salary from my uh, teaching uh, position there in Denmark. But um, I realized, you know, if you are to start with a photography company, um, you need to buy everything from scratch, and you don't have any sort of support. And photography gear is expensive, as you know. <laughs> and there's always this lens that you want, and there's always this other piece of of gear that you need. Um, so that adds up quickly to you know a lot of a lot of resources and time and and uh, and money. So um, it's it's difficult, and you need to be willing to make this sacrifice. You know, for a period of your time, dedicate yourself a hundred percent. Uh, at the expense of others and at the expense of maybe love life and, and social life and stuff like that. Um, I think that's a sacrifice that you need to be willing to make, at least nowadays, if you don't have an, already a name and if, you, if you're really serious about this, this job and you can see a few other stories, in, in, at least in the night, night uh, sky photography uh, industry, you know, like Alan Wallace or... Uh, even even you, you said yourself, I mean, you, you said you were burning out, but I'm sure you've made a lot of sacrifices. When I see those pictures behind you here with the Milky Way, I know those are could be far away locations or I, I see also like a summit picture here. Um, you need to be willing to also physically, um, you know, put yourself through danger and, and uh, ha like natural hazard to be able to take those unique shots and make a name of yourself in this oversaturated industry. Let's, let's say it the way it is. It's oversaturated, but it's not impossible. And uh, that's a, another piece of advice, you know, uh, that I have for the audience is that it might seem completely useless to, to start now, now that even, you know, social media is getting crazy or Instagram is not working anymore. So, uh, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's useless to start now. No, it's not. And if it brings something for you other than making money, then definitely do it because 
for me, that brings photography in the night sky brings joy for me. Being alone with the elements when there's no sound outside, no winds, you know, you have the perfect pristine sky with, I don't know, I, I would imagine uh, a nice lake or a nice, you know, still sea where you get the reflection of the moon or the reflection of stars. Oh my goodness, there's no feeling beating that, I think. That is a great advice. And, you know, like I know that feeling 100%. <laughs> that, just that really serene, pristine, um, you know, like um, tranquil sort of feeling that just, ah, you know, like it feels like nothing else matters, right? It's just like mm. you're in the moment. You're so in the moment that nothing else matters. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, um, so how... What are some of the things um, that um, you did in terms of earning money and um, that you can, um, I suppose, let, let me rephrase that. So how did you, you know, how did you earn from your photography and how would you have done it differently if an audience come to you and says, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, doing this full time because I love it. I love the fulfillment, but. I just don't know where you you know where to start. Um, what sort of um, direction or advice would you give them? So, I think having you know a sum that is dedicated, so like a like a saving uh, sum of money that is somewhere on on an account, and that of course you don't touch for. Uh, I mean, you buy your gear but you don't touch for anything else than just like in case of emergency kind of package, um, that is advisable because there's going to be a period where you're going to, you're going to, um, and I think that's the same for a lot of, of de debuting artists. Um, there's a period of time at the beginning where you're going to put in way more efforts than you're going to get any return uh, on investment, if that makes sense. So you're going to invest yourself much more than you're going to earn and that that period of time is frustrating because uh you don't see the product of your hard labor right you don't see the 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 return on investment and that's frustrating for a lot of people and that might cause some people to stop at that stage but that's exactly when you know everything looks looks bleak and like doom and gloom um, that's exactly where you should actually double your efforts because you never know what is, um, you know, in, in, around the corner, I would say, uh, that's exactly when, uh, and I can actually share a, a little bit of how I ended up in Norway. Um, so I started photography in 2016, uh, professionally. So I quit my job in Denmark. I had a bit of money on the side and um i wanted to sell prints first because that's what everyone did so i set up a a, a wix website and i started making uh you know a little bit of money really not much at all not enough to live anyways so um i went back to france i i you know no shame in saying i went back to my parents and live at my parents for about a year uh to help me you know in this journey because rent was quite expensive um and, you know, I was, I did, you know, some, some job on the side as well. I, 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 I was uh, doing substituting, uh, teaching, uh, in, uh, at my dad's school and, you know, during the night I would go out. So it's like this double life that you, you, 
you need to lead as well. You know, uh, it's not like you're going to earn unless you're very uh, smart. I'm not, well, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough, but I'm not that smart. So I, I didn't figure out a way to earn money completely from photography at first. And so I needed this side um, income source or stream to help me survive the first years. Um, and so uh, after a year, I was like, you know, I was just about to give up. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not seeing the, the return of it on investment. It's not worth my time, even though I love it. But um, um, so I took this one last trip. I, I told myself, okay, if after a year, I don't make enough money, then I just continue my, my, my uh, uh, into a PhD, right? Or my, my teaching job. So uh, I said, I'm taking one last trip to Scandinavia to see the Aurora and maybe hopefully to take some pictures and some people will like it. I don't know. I didn't know what I was thinking. So went to, to a disco in Sweden, starting, started shooting, shooting the Aurora. And that was a few days before the end of everything, basically, because after that trip, remember, I was going to stop everything and I was about to give up. And I received this email from, oh, sorry, this message on Facebook from the uh, the the director of what is now the Aurora Borealis Observatory in uh, in Senja Island in Norway, and they said, "Well, I, he said, I love your 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 work. I've been I've been watching your work for a while now. It, I think the quality is is awesome. Um, you know, what what would you how would you like to come and visit? Uh, so I did visit. I, I did an extension of my trip. Did visit the observatory without any sort of, sort of like second thoughts or uh, without knowing what what they wanted. And so I visited the observatory. And long story short, he offered me a job uh, then, you know, based out of Norway and perfect location for the aurora. Uh, I could do. Uh, I would earn money on the side enough to survive, and I could do photography as well on my spare time. And to me, that was the perfect, uh, perfect opportunity. And that's how I got started. I started making content, and from then, I was able to be visible on social media. And and you know, that's the the snowball effect afterwards. You know, you you post and post and post, and you start getting noticed. And then, boom, you get you know collaborations, contracts, and stuff like that. That's how your photography journey is. So, if I have one piece of advice, is when you think you know, you're gonna, uh, when you feel like you, you need to give up because you don't see any results, that's exactly when you should double down on your efforts because, uh, you know, at least that, that happened to me, but I know that happened to a lot of other people. Uh, that's exactly when, you know, uh, for some reason, that's exactly when uh, good things happen. So, uh, don't give up. And yes, your the start of the journey is hard and full of hurdles and challenges, but um, uh, you know most 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 people make it, and uh, if they're persistent enough, they make it for sure. That's awesome. That I think that is a really cool thing, um, a really cool advice there, because um, you know, because you, you mentioned a couple of things, right? First, um, you know, like. Um, you need to put on the sacrifice and to make it in this starving industry. But actually, we need to make that sacrifice on all of that, right? It doesn't matter what startup you try, what company you want to build. It's actually the same thing. So I think there's no difference there. And the second thing is, you know, like it's saturated. 
yes, it is saturated, but only saturated for people who doesn't want to go the extra mile. And I think, you know, like when you, when you talk about you have to make sacrifice and making those, you know, wonderful kind content and just keep putting yourself out there until one day, you know, somebody notice it all or, um, you know, have that saving and just keep going, keep going and double down on the times that you feel like you want to give up. I think that is a really good advice because that's exactly why this that's exactly how you make it in this saturated industry when you're willing to go the extra miles and um, keep going when everyone else quit. So that's that's a really good advice, Adrian. Thanks for sharing that. Now, I know we're kind of going over time here a little bit. Um, it's been really nice talking to you. And um, before we kind of close this down, um, since, you know, I'd, I'd love you, I'd love to get you to share. How can people... Um, forecast the 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 aurora um when when they visit north or south like uh, you know and you know don't don't worry about the the crazy science behind it just like some of the few practical things that they can do to increase their chance seeing the aurora because um unlike most people what most people think it's it's always there there is no season for it yes there are some times of the year that are better to to see it uh, but at the same time, it's 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 like a rain, right? It it, it really yeah. rely a lot on the forecast. So, uh, based on your experience, what are some of the practical steps that you can suggest to our audience to better or to uh, get their chance to see the aurora? Yeah, so that's that's the the hundred dollar question, isn't it? Like when when are we getting aurora? Um, yeah, so without getting into too much too many details, um, so to increase your chances to see the aurora, I would say you know the, you mentioned it, that's exactly like rain. You know the aurora here happens all the time, but the rain it doesn't rain all the time, right? You have periods of of sun and periods of clouds and rain, so it happens sporadically, but it, it does happen all the time, so very frequently. Um, but to maximize your chances to see the aurora, you need um, to make sure, I think that's the first piece of advice I would give to people is make sure you come, and I know it's it's expensive, you know, a lot of the locations up north are expensive because it's so far away from everything. Um, if you have the resources, try to go as long as possible. So for as many days as possible, because sometimes just one day makes the difference between not seeing anything, for example, like a, a, a three-day three, three stay, you know, um, you could be clouded out for three days and you wouldn't see anything regardless of the location, right? It does happen. Those long periods of completely cloudy skies in the north, that, you know, happens all the time. Um, but imagine if you booked an extra day and the last on the last day, it clears up and you get, even if you get, you don't get the best aurora show in the world, you get to see the aurora. So um, I always tend to stay book, you know, one, two, three extra days if you can allow it uh, money wise and time wise. Um, that definitely helps because, uh, as you know, they're, they're, uh, we, we're getting better at uh, terrestrial weather forecasting. Right. I mean, we've ha we had hundreds of, of, of years of records and we, we our models are starting to, to 
to be real, really accurate, uh, whether we complain or not, you know, because there, some of them may not be accurate. But space weather and aurora, uh, it's such a new science that uh, our models and our forecasts are actually in their infancy as opposed to terrestrial weather. And we don't have that very precise instruments or those very precise instruments that can allow us to to predict with certitude, you know, uh, in in an hour range or within minutes when the aurora is going to happen. So I couldn't tell you per se, you know, if the aurora is going to happen in in one minute, in an hour. Uh, but there are a few things that you could look at to sort of maximize your chances to see the aurora, and that is to follow. The, uh, the first off, to follow the people that uh, the scientists in the fields, they believe it or not, they are on social media and they can uh, they can actually give you great advice. And they they can they uh, some of them uh, produce forecasts, um, but otherwise, honestly, uh, there are a few websites and resources that you can uh, you can look at, and that is the NOAA Space Weather Prediction Center um, website, and there is another one, Space Weather Live. I think those two, uh, so NOAA, N-O-A-A, Space Weather Prediction Center, and then spaceweatherlive.com are the two main resources uh, that I would think, you know, predict pretty much everything from the sun to the, the aurora on Earth. So they they have a, a let's say they have a, um, a uh, I wouldn't say foot but they have you know uh, uh, they predict all those steps that come in between uh, so and they're quite clear as well so um, uh, yeah those are the two I think the two advice that I can give to people uh, to maximize their chances uh, also make sure you um, you get to a location that is dark enough, so not within a city, or if you're within a city, you need to be able to have uh, uh, guided tours that go outside of the city or to rent a car. And then, uh, you know, a bit of moon is, is okay with the Aurora, especially if, if it's overhead, it does, it's not that much of a problem, um, but it's, it, it comes down to your preference. A lot of moon, so full moon will hinder or mask out the faint aurora, whilst the the bright aurora, it doesn't matter with the moon. It just you know you can you can see it anyways. But some people prefer no moon. So um, if you don't want any moon to hinder your view, then try to look at the moon calendar and to try to uh, look at the face. Also, don't only look at the moon calendar because here the moon, believe it or not, behaves very differently as uh, it does at the equator. Uh, even if it says the moon is, I don't know, like 50% full, the moon might not even show up the whole night. And that's just what happens in the north because of the, the course of objects in the sky. So check some apps for uh, the course of the moon if you want or the, uh, the weather as well. But um, And make sure the last piece of advice is make sure you at a time where your location is dark enough. By dark enough, that means I, I mean, at least nautical twilight. So nautical twilight is the part of the twilight where you start seeing the few, the, the first aurora, the, the, the first strong auroras. Uh, that's where you start making out the start. Um, and of course, darker than that is, is okay. 
um, that's what defines the quote unquote Aurora season at your location, which is which differs from location to another. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's a really good tip. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess um, I'll, I'll clarify a bit. Like when um, Adrian was saying nautical twilight, um, it, what he meant is that light after the blue hour i think so after a sunset you know the sunset it goes to blue hour and then some other light and then it goes to nautical uh twilight and then it go fully dark so um that happened before sunrise and after sunset so that's what he meant and i think um you know a lot of people also need to appreciate in a place like norway for example in some um, some time of the year, you don't get any um, nighttime at all, isn't it? You you don't even get any twilight or blue hour, isn't it? Nope. So we we do get uh, because of the we're so high in in at the latitude that uh, we're subject to the tilt of the Earth much more than at the equator, uh, and and we can see this change quite dramatically, as you pointed out. Uh, uh, with the course of objects in the sky throughout the seasons, and especially the suns, because uh, for two months of the year in the summer, at the heart of the summer, the, the we're oriented towards the sun all the time, right? The, we, we're tilting towards the sun all the time. Um, so we get the midnight sun, and we obviously, so that means we get the sun at midnight, although it's slow on the horizon, but it's still, you know, it's quite weird <laughs> to see the sun at midnight. So, um, so it never then, actually sets. Nope, it never sets. So it, it just it grazes gently the horizon, the northern horizon at midnight, and then it goes up again at one, two in the morning, and uh, oh, it goes up. It yeah, it never sets, but it it, it goes up in the sky again, uh, so it gets brighter. That's wow. Uh, so you get yeah, so you get a very different light. You get to see the landscape hit by the light from a dip, from an angle where you could never see uh, at other locations. And it's like in, in Bali, for example, your favorite location, your favorite cove, let's just say behind you, you have, it looks like a, a nice cove by the beach. Let's say, you know, it's quite stable in Bali because th throughout the year, the sun, the sun doesn't, the course of the sun doesn't change that much in the sky. Um, try to imagine the sun, uh, most of the year, it doesn't hit that cove. But then in the in the winter for some re oh sorry in the summer for some reason at midnight boom you get the golden light from the sun uh, from there hitting the cove it's like you're getting uh, for landscape photography is just perfect because you get to see things that you could never see otherwise so it's yeah yeah you, you get you get forever golden hour how awesome is that <laughs> mm -hmm. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. All right. Well, that's that's a really good advice. Um, you know, um, I love that the two resources that you talk about, and I'll be sure to put it on the link as well. Um, yeah, they they believe it or not, there are a lot of apps in the Apple Store, but uh, don't trust them. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think the app are quite mis misleading because they give you the raw data without. I mean, some of them do explain what the raw data mean. But they have it. A lot of the apps have it wrong because they dumb it down so much that they start uh, making mistakes in their own explanation, and that's just not how the aurora happens. It's very complicated. Um, so, you know, you can you can download the apps; they're free. Most of them are free, anyways. 
but um, don't, don't really go with the app. Uh, trust the people that are in the field when you come to a location because they know the Aurora better and they know how it behaves, which is probably not what, what the app say, say at, at the time anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And um, I think, you know, what Adrian say was, because like when I first started, I used to look at the app and go like, whoa, KP7, I'll be like heading out. It's like, this is not KP7. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the thing that the app or most people don't understand is there is so many different small factors that affect that. So even at the lower exactly. KP, you have a big, uh, you have, you still have chance to sit. And, you know, at a higher KP, um, you might not see it at all. So, um, and that's why Adrian say go follow these scientists because they will actually put all of this data in context so that you can make a better judgment. But um, yeah, thanks thanks for sharing that. Um, and, um, you know, if you have maybe like a, a couple of scientists that you recommend to follow, um, do let me know and I'll put it on the link so that the audience can jump sure. in and follow them as well. Um, but also at the same time, follow Adrian because, man, like really guys, just go through his, his Instagram, and um, I mean, you're blown away, but find the one with the reindeer. It is my favorite shot. Actually, there, is, there are three shots that I really love from your shot. The one that like, oh, man, like crazy love it. <laughs> it's the reindeer. The second one is the Milky Way and the Aurora, the one like left to right. Mm -hmm. And the other one was the clouds, the crazy rainbow on the clouds. That's just insane, man. Like, oh, I was like, damn, I want to see that. <laughs> One day, one day. Yeah, those are the, sh the things. Yeah, one day you will see. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Adrian, thank you very much for you know sparing your time, teaching us auroras, as well as sh uh, sharing your journey and um, giving the audience practical advice that they can do to either you know chase their passion or even just see the auroras. Um, now, for those of the um, people who wanna you know find out more about your work or work with you or um, even just want to appreciate your work even more. What is the best way for them to find 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 you? So I do have uh, uh, a mandatory website. I think we all we all have a website as photographers. Um, so it's three w dot night lights films. So lights and films are plural. dot com. Um, but I you know. Nowadays, it's more, I mean, we, we can find people more on social media. So I'm all on all major platforms. I'm also on YouTube and um, I, I used to be on Vimeo, but I think I just deleted Vimeo. Um, but I do, I do, I do uh, video as well. So I'm a lot on, uh, uh, um, you know, Facebook watch or, or, uh, or YouTube as well. But uh, I'm on Twitter, YouTube. I'm always under the same name, Night Lights films or night lights um and but if you type my name you would also find me on google i'm sure uh that that's what comes first uh that's so that's where people usually find me and they can't contact me any place uh whether it's on facebook or instagram or uh, you know via email or something like that um quite responsive so <laughs> fantastic yeah um He's, uh, he's a great photographer and a great human being. So um, do 
follow him, <laughs> get in touch with him. <laughs> and uh, I only say that because, you know, you've been with us for about an hour, but, you know, <laughs> I'm just joking. No, he is just really <laughs> awesome human being. Um, but um, yeah, um, thank you very much, Adrian, for being here, sharing all that knowledge. And with that being said, well, um, Wicked Hunters, hopefully you find a lot of value and enjoy that talk. Um, make sure you go to Adrian Page. I guarantee that you will be blown away. So, um, you know, if there is anything you get from this, you know, go and follow him and yeah, it'll make your life better. I can guarantee you. Well, with that being said, um, let us know in the comment below. Um, give us a little bit of review of whether or not, you know, what do you think and what are some of the things that you want to hear in the future if you have, uh, if you have any artists that you want to hear their journey or whatnot. Uh, but thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. And I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for having me. <laughs>